Hello and welcome. You're listening to Building with People for People, the Unfiltered Build podcast, where we talk to people behind the tech, explore their journeys, and make sense of what and how we build through a human lens. I'm your host, Nigel Finley. Production is down. Faulty code was released. Users are losing your trust by the second. Ugh, how did this happen? And how could this have been prevented? For one, by writing the right tests. Today, we discuss all things testing, from the types of tests in your tool belt, how to write the right tests, when to run them, tools you can use and should use, and ways to ensure your tests are performant. Our guest today is a world-renowned speaker, educator, and beacon of inspiration in the tech community, and has written an entire course focused solely on testing JavaScript. He graduated from BYU with a master in science and information systems, and has worked at companies like Domo, Alianza, and PayPal. He's a Google developer expert, an instructor on egghead.io and front-end masters, and the creator of epicreact.dev, which is an in-depth React course. He's actively involved in the open source community as a maintainer of projects like Glamorous, Downshift, and DOM testing library, and is a contributor to hundreds of popular NPM packages. He's been a guest on many, many podcasts, given over 100 talks on topics like JS, React testing, and careers, so needless to say, he is a thought leader in the web development space. Prior to his current role, he co-founded Remix and was a director of developer experience. Presently, our guest is a software engineer educator working for himself and working on what he calls his magnum opus, Epic Web Dev. Our guest has 11 brothers and sisters, six boys and six girls, is an Eagle Scout, listens to books, podcasts at not 2x, but 3x speed, and has never had a sip of coffee or alcohol. When our guest is not teaching the world about software or spending time with his family, he's cruising around on his one wheel or snowboarding. He's always been excited about sharing what he knows with others, and I'm very, very excited he is here today to share his knowledge with us. It's an absolute pleasure and my privilege to welcome Kent C. Dodds to the show. Kent, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. That's a very kind introduction. I appreciate that. Uh, you you definitely did your research to, <laughs> to know all of that. So, so uh, yeah, that's me. Awesome. So because this is a podcast sort of centered on the humans who create the software, uh, and you're quite a dynamic human, my first question is always about the journey. So growing up, you were actually never set on writing code for eight hours. You actually wanted to be a video editor. Uh, and your first real job was an audio video technician for Midnight Productions in Idaho, where I think you actually DJed some church dances. <laughs> yeah. So walk us through your journey to where you are now and what made you change your mind about software? Yeah, so um, I'm a product of the 90s. I was born in 88. And um, so my older brothers and sisters um, would play video games and I would watch them. And then eventually I got to play the video games. And I played a lot of Age of Empires and Warcraft. I never got into World of Warcraft. I was into video games before that. Starcraft and spent a lot of time on that. I did a little bit of campaign building uh, on those games. Uh, I actually, I, I think it was Starcraft where I made a campaign that basically told the story of one of my religious texts, the Book of Mormon. Um, and so it was like, would take you through their journey and everything. It was very interesting, um, <laughs> kind of fun. And so I, I enjoyed that um, a lot. But eventually my parents were like, hey, I think you're on the computer too much uh, doing all this <laughs> video game stuff. And they were right. Um, and so I 
uh, started getting into trying, I, I just enjoyed being on the computer. So I started getting into more productive uses of the computer. And that's where I, the video editing started coming in. And I said, oh, well, I could edit videos and then I can be on the computer. <laughs> and um, I, I did have a friend who was very into programming and he tried to teach me programming and I just couldn't understand what things were like he explained a boolean i kind of got that i got numbers and then he tried to explain strings and i was just lost um, and so <laughs> i said okay well you go build the program and i'll go into marketing or something and we can build this cool business you know game together or whatever yeah so i did do a little bit of html and css um uh, around like as a teenager um, i got into blogging very early i actually had a, a blog about google and just like what google was doing I was one of the first blogs to break the YouTube acquisition, actually. I got lots and lots of what? views on my blog. It was just a Blogspot thing. Um, awesome. So that was kind of cool. But uh, yeah, never really considered myself a programmer until uh, I, when I was in college. I was going in for um, electrical engineering. My brother graduated with a degree in electrical engineering. And he said, hey, uh, E will get you to be able to do anything you want to do on computers. If you understand computers at that level, you can do anything that you want with computers. So it's like, great, I want to do stuff with computers. So I'll just do that. Turns out you need to be like pretty good at math and stuff. And I'm not. <laughs> I, I, in high school, I went to uh, two calculus classes. So I had my calculus class. And then for some reason, I had a free period. And so I would go to my calculus class again. I would, there was... No shortage of commitment to be being good at this. And I actually kind of liked it. I just, I was so bad uh, at math. And so I, I did not do super great in my engineering classes. Um, I did okay. Like the programming classes, I, I did all right. And I was a tutor um, for my classmates and stuff. But I just didn't really enjoy it. I, I, the idea of sitting in front of a computer for eight hours a day uh, just sounded awful. And then I, I went on a mission for my church. I came back and I bounced around a couple degrees. I investigated oh, physics and uh, chemical engineering. Both of those require a lot of math too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so then I decided to try accounting because uh, my uh, dad is an accountant and he really encouraged it. And so I tried and the, the first class was okay, but then the second class just like destroyed me. And I was like, this is the most dull thing I can think of. <laughs> but it got me into the business school where I discovered information systems. Hmm. And that was where I was like, oh, okay, so I can use computers still, but like in a practical sense where I'm not just like building a linked list for the fun of it. Um, like it's actually useful stuff. And then I got uh, an internship at a company where I, I had to do a bunch of monkey work, just like mindless, mind numbing tasks. And in my information systems classes, I was doing some programming. And so I thought, okay, I can take some of what I'm learning in there and apply it to here and automate some of my work. And that's, that's really the start of when I became interested in getting into software. And that was, you were actually uploading, you were ripping CDs and uploading that to YouTube, right? That's right. Yeah. So, so automated that whole process. Yeah. It was interesting. By the time I was done, my, my program, um, I would, uh, give it a URL. It would, uh, actually it, it had that encoded. It was like single use program. So it would go to this URL. It would scrape the links for the videos that I needed to download. We had permission to do this. And so it would download those videos. It would uh, also grab a bunch of metadata and then it would talk to the YouTube API to upload those videos to YouTube. And it was thousands and thousands of videos in um, multiple languages, um, on multiple YouTube channels. It was way cool. Uh, I built it all in Java. 
<laughs> using uh, Swing for the, the UI because I had a UI because like, I don't know, I, I guess I've <laughs> always had UI in my blood. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was it was pretty cool. Uh, and I got to present that to it, it's a nonprofit that I was working for. Uh, so I presented it to the board, um, which was pretty rad. And uh, yeah, e even then, though, I was not convinced I wanted to be a programmer. Uh, I was just using programming to solve my problem. Um, I was still thinking I wanted to get into uh, maybe business intelligence or product management or or something more on the business side of things. But you know, I, I could tell you the the rest of the story, but I've already been going for a long time. So it it just everywhere that I went, I ended up using software to automate my tasks and enjoying that process more than my tasks. So in the intro, we mentioned. You know, production has gone down because of faulty code. So I kind of want to start with the basics, right? What is testing? Why is it so important? And how could the right tests have stopped us from pushing out faulty code? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, at a, a fundamental level, testing is code that does what you would have done uh, to check that your code is working. And so like the the most basic form of a test would be code that that calls a function and then uh, gets some re results from that and then checks that result to s make sure it was what was expected and if you don't have what was expected you'll throw an error and so you could write a test in like two lines of code you know call the function if not expected then throw an error and uh, and then we build tools around this to make things more more productive make the error messages more helpful things like that and so in uh, testingjavascript.com that you mentioned earlier, um, I we actually build a testing framework to get a, a good understanding of, of what the scope of testing frameworks are and how they work so that you can use them effectively. And uh, yeah, so but the, the basic idea of a test is just the test software is no different than the software that you write for your product um, because all that your product is doing is trying to automate something that we would be slow at doing as humans. And our test code is exactly the same thing. It's just a, a different product. The product is making it so that we don't have to manually go through and check our code. Because uh, at not even a very large scale, uh, but at a certain scale, it becomes effectively impossible to be productive at building the product um, and also feel like you're making headway or, or like you're not going to ship stuff that is going to break break your product. So uh, you do need to uh, to test your code to uh, or automate write automated tests of your code to make sure that the changes you're shipping are not going to break other things. Uh, yeah, the the software that you're writing is just automating that process for you. So let's talk about sort of the different types of tests that we have available in our tool belt as we write our code. Sure. So there, there are these classifications of tests, and and people seem to have different definitions of what it constitutes um, or or how how to classify these uh, types of tests. So before we talk about those specifics, I want to talk about more broadly uh, the the goals of the tests. And um, so we've got it, with with our software, we typically have two users. Uh, there's the end user uh, that's actually going to if we're talking about a web app. Uh, then we've got uh, buttons and forms and different UI components that users are going to be interacting with. So we need to make sure we don't break their experience in using our app. And so the tests are there to uh, to 
ensure that things work for them. Um, and then we also have the developer user of our code. So if we're writing a component, maybe it's a component library, or maybe it's just a utility function, and maybe the developer user of our code is ourselves, and that's also okay. And so we need to make sure that, uh, or, or maybe we're writing an API and there's a developer who's consuming that API. Um, so in either one of those cases, uh, those are the two users that you're going to have of your code. And so the, the tests are responsible for making sure that those two users, the experience of, of using the code that you've written is not broken uh, for those two users. One thing that we run into sometimes is uh, we introduce a third user that I call the test user. Mm. And so these this user cares a great deal about how the the software works rather than that the software works. So for our end user and for our developer user, they don't care how it works. Uh, you can be using React or Svelte or Vue or uh, SolidJS or anything. Like they don't care even a tiny bit. They don't. Uh, it it doesn't make a difference to them so long as their use cases are satisfied. Like you could be using a canvas and they don't care. Except don't use a canvas because some users will care because they won't be able to use your software. <laughs> it's not accessible. Uh, you have to put in a lot of work to make a canvas accessible. But if you put in the work, then that's fine. They don't care, right? It doesn't matter. And then for our developer users, it's the same thing. Like if I'm talking to your API, I don't care if it's written in Elixir or Node or Go or whatever. Like I maybe I want it to be fast. Uh, I want it to you know to respond accurately. But it doesn't matter. So the way that it works is what we call the implementation detail. And the test user is very interested in the implementation detail. The problem with the test user is that they don't pay you. <laughs> there's, they are not touching the bottom line. And um, the implementation is what changes the most. You know, cha the change of the behavior uh, features are, and, and those changes definitely do come. And our users are going to be rocked by that a little bit. You know, we, we're moving this button over here or something. And so we, we actually do want to be, uh, we want our test to break when those sorts of things happen because um, our user's experience is gonna break. And so we need to make that a, uh, an intentional decision that's made by the product team or, or whatever. And so the, the problem with the test user is they are going to, uh, that, that test is going to break anytime you change how it works. But again, they don't pay us. They like they're they're they don't care about us. They hate us. And so, <laughs> we're, if you're focused a lot on satisfying the test user, then you're going to be spending a lot of time doing extra work that uh, that you're not getting paid for or anything. So, I I say all of that to say really really it's it's very very important that you avoid uh, testing implementation details. And we could talk a little bit more about what that that means um, and and what impact that has on what tests that you write, but that's really important to establish right up front. Excellent. And so to, to kind of take this idea of of the different types of tests, really, really as you mentioned, to achieve the goal, right, to ensure that the user experience is consistent and doing that in an automated way. Mm -hmm. There is the testing pyramid, which is sort of this traditional way of thinking about testing and you've actually sort of taken this idea of the testing trophy and sort mm -hmm. of made it your own. Can you sort of walk us through what this is and as sort of a tool to help us implement our, our tests? Sure. Yeah. So, um, with, uh, taking into account the, what testing, uh, is and, and the, the users of our tests or of our, our code, we have multiple layers of 
testing that enable us to write code that is reliable. So the, the top layer of both the, the trophy and the pyramid is end-to-end -end tests. So these are the tests that are going to act very, very similar to the end user. There, there may still be uh, things that we're faking out in our tests, like credit card, you know, charging a credit card and stuff. Uh, we don't want our, our tests like that would be very expensive. Um, <laughs> so but for the most part, everything in that test should be real. Um, one thing that's probably not going to be real is the the user is going to be a lot faster than a typical user, right? We're, we're using a tool uh, like Cypress or Playwright uh, to uh, basically make a robot uh, behave like a user would, clicking buttons, typing in input fields, and things like that. And this should be backed up by your full backend with the database and everything. Typically, most people run these types of tests in a staging environment um, with maybe only... Most applications are a conglomerate of a lot of teams work. And typically you only want to test your changes with the existing infrastructure that's been deployed to that staging environment. That's that's what uh, most people do. Sometimes they'll like stick it all in a Docker container with the latest of everybody's stuff and, and run it all. It, it really depends. And that's a big subject. But in any case, you're going to be running with as much of the real world stuff as possible. And this is going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. You're going to get like even just opening the page and saying, I see the title, you get a ton of uh, value out of that. Like the app can load. Most other types of tests cannot verify that for you. Hmm. Like it can run on our infrastructure, um, lots of stuff just from that one, one test. The, the drawback to end-to-end -end tests is that they are typically slower and they, are, so they, they can be uh, flaky, though I kind of don't like saying that because if your test is flaky, then your app is too. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so you want to, uh, if your test is flaking out a lot, then maybe you need to fix them of the reliability of your services. And, and this is actually one of the drawbacks to using a staging environment because we typically don't care about the staging environment as much uh, mm -hmm. as our production environment. So yeah, there's a little bit, uh, a little bit to that, but that is the top layer. Then, then going down a level is integration tests. And the way that I define integration tests is we are integrating our own code with our own code. So we're, we're taking all of the boundaries of our responsibility and we're chopping those off with mock implementations of all of that. So typically in a, uh, an enterprise situation, you, you're integrating with a bunch of other teams. I cover those integrations with my end-to-end -end tests. And when I'm mm -hmm. talking about integration tests, I'm just saying I've written dozens or hundreds of React components, uh, or I, I've got a bunch of different functions and stuff. I'm just testing that those things integrate together properly. Um, and so you um, you mock out with uh, mocking tools the boundaries of uh, your responsibility. And so this, in a React context, this is going to be rendering uh, the component that's responsible for like rendering the whole page. You'll set up your, your URL to be at the route you want it to be. And then you render out your app and you make sure that it's on the page that's supposed to be on. You're interacting with the buttons on that page and, and you hit submit and it, you say, okay, it, it made this fetch request. Okay. We're, we're going to call that good. And, and maybe we'll send a mock response and say, you know, if it, if the mock response is a good one, then this is what it does. If it's a bad one, then here's the error or whatever. And then the going down a level below that on both the trophy and the pyramid is the uh, unit testing la layer. And this is 
for for me, this is testing an individual function. Pretty much only pure functions get unit tested for me. And I, I would say that uh, a lot of people would say, well, what about components? Uh, and I'd say, well, I mean, if you're going to talk unit tests from a strict, you know, unit test perspective, then you're mocking React, right? <laughs> like, uh, no thanks, I'm not mocking yeah. React. Um, so I, I actually kind of consider uh, testing a component a separate thing altogether. It's a component test hmm. that uh, you you might call it a unit test, but typically a, a true unit test would be one that mocks out all. Th- integrations with everything, um, all separate modules, all everything. And I, I very rarely do that. Uh, so the, the definition between integration and unit tests is a little loosey goosey, and I actually don't care that much. Um, I'm mostly concerned about the confidence that I get. And so it's easier for me to just say unit tests are pure functions. Mm. And I, I do plenty of those, but, uh, yeah, not as many as integration tests. And then the last thing on the uh, trophy is, uh, static testing. Uh, we get that through tools like like TypeScript, which I love, and Prettier is a formatter, but it's actually also a static testing tool because it, if it can't format, then there's a syntax error, uh, so it can help you with that. Of course, TypeScript would help you with that as well, but also it will format your code in a way that looks funny if you forgot something important, mm. like parentheses or something like that. So it, it is a static testing tool in uh, for our development time experience. Uh, and then ESLint is another uh, good static testing tool. And so with the, the shape of the testing trophy, we have um, our integration tests are the biggest, they're the biggest bang for the buck because the, the buck is smaller than, than end-to-end. So end-to-end is gonna give you the biggest bang for a pretty big buck. Uh, integration test is going to be a pretty big bang for quite a bit less of a buck. <laughs> and then unit test is a very small buck, but a very small bang also. And then uh, static testing is the base of the trophy. And that one is it's low setup cost, but it, like it, with ESLint, it's going to be, you know, pretty like you could set this up in an afternoon. You might have a bunch of errors. You just turn those to warnings and over time you can you can fix those. Um, with TypeScript, you it's supposed to be a pretty straightforward uh, migration to, to get TypeScript set up, but it is going to be a long one. And it's extremely impactful to the way that you write your code. But uh, but it's super duper worth it. Uh, Prettier is going to be like an enormous bang when you, you start using it. But uh, but then a- thereafter, it's it's pretty small. So so the investment there is is relatively um, smaller. So a smaller buck, pretty significant bang, and definitely worthwhile. So uh, the the uh, testing pyramid is shaped like a pyramid. It's the uh, they just focus more on unit tests, and that came from Martin Fowler years ago. And in the footnotes of his introduction to the testing pyramid, he said, the shape of this pyramid is like this because of the way that uh, our testing tools are currently. And if that changes, then the shape will change. So I see the trophy as an evolution of the pyramid because our tools have gotten a lot better. So there you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Wonderful. So many things to unpack there. I have a few questions. So let's kind of, let's maybe start with unit tests, right? I think to your point about the pyramid is shifting, right? With a lot more UI components and you even talked about it yourself, more of a component test uh, as opposed to this sort of pure function unit test. With unit tests, you have code coverage, right? And a lot of times this can actually be false sense of security because mm-hmm. you're not actually writing the right tests, right? Like you said, you have written a test that is focused on the test user instead of the actual user or the developer. Mm-hmm. So you wrote an article about uh, why you never use shallow rendering, which is a part of the enzyme library. 
can we just unpack that a little bit and, and talk about that? Yeah, sure. So uh, shallow rendering was really popular back when Enzyme was still actively maintained and, and everything. Enzyme is definitely, if people listening are still using Enzyme, uh, you should probably know that um, it is more or less deprecated. Um, it is not very actively maintained. It doesn't work with the latest version of React. So you should definitely be migrating. Uh, the React team recommends migrating to testing library. And testing library does not support shallow rendering and it never will. React itself has a, a utility for shallow rendering, and I strongly advise against using it. So the the reason is that it goes back to the implementation details. So with shallow rendering, it's very easy to do a refactor, which should not change behavior, and have your test break, and then change behavior and not have your test break. And so it's basically a worthless test. In fact, it's worse than worthless because it makes you think that you are confident when you really are not. So um, shallow rendering, it, what it effectively does is it, uh, let's, let's take React out of the picture for a second. Imagine you had a tool that allowed you to call a function that would automatically mock every function that that function calls. And so the call stack is, is only one level deep. It sounds worthless, right? Yeah, it is worthless. It's the worst <laughs> idea. So that, that's what shallow rendering is with components. So if you are um, rendering any components, then what it will, uh, what it does is it, it actually will not render those components. So those components will not be called. And instead, it will just give you information about what that component was and the uh, props that it was called with. And so the problem is that you can very easily like, change the implementation of that component and not break your test because the test doesn't care about that component. And then uh, your application is busted and your test didn't help you there. Uh, or you're refactoring and your test can't help you during the refactor. If you have to change your test when you're refactoring, then your test is bad. Uh, and your tests should help you refactor. They should not have to be rewritten when you're refactoring. And so shallow rendering is basically the antithesis of this. And so that's why I never use shallow rendering. So you wrote DOM testing library, which is a JavaScript library, and it focuses on writing tests that closely resemble how your web pages are interacted with by the users. Was this in sort of response to certain tools that were currently available? Yeah, exactly. So React test or, or DOM testing library came out of React testing library, which I created when I was working on a workshop, actually. So I was, huh. I typically like to teach people how things work before I teach them how, how to use it. Uh, so in testing JavaScript, we build a testing framework and assertion library, and we also build a, a testing library for React. And so um, what what I do is I say, okay, well, here's here's React, here's your React component, and if you were to render that to the page, you're going to say React DOM dot create uh, or uh, uh, dot render. Uh, now we've got create root, and uh, it's a little different now, <laughs> but back then <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. is uh, render. Uh, you'd pass the React element, and you'd pass the DOM element you want to render it to. And so I made a little function that accepted the UI, and it would create a div, and it would uh, render it to that div, and then return that div, and now you can test stuff on that div. So I, I had this little utility function, and then I was like, okay, now we're going to upgrade, and we're going to use Enzyme. And um, it was a pretty big jump going from that to Enzyme, because now you have to decide, okay, are we going to mount, are we going to render, or are we going to shallow? Because uh, mm -hmm. there are three different rendering um, I choices there. And then also we've got all of these utility functions on this wrapper that you get back. 
And so many of them are bad. You should never use dot state. You should never use dot props. Like you, just so many things that you should not be using um, with enzyme. Uh, never use find uh, and find by a component or by its com the component name or anything. <laughs> and so I was going to write this big document that said, here are all of the things you should never use from enzyme because they're bad. And I just felt like the worst thing to come in and teach somebody, here's this cool thing. Here's also this document of list of rules of things you should never do with this thing. And I thought, wouldn't mm -hmm. it be nice if there was just, you know, something that you could use and just use it and not worry about uh, somebody like, you know, whether you're using it right. Right. And so, like, I looked at my utility function, I called render and I thought, you know, that utility function is actually pretty good. What if I just stick with that? And so I the, the initial release of React Testing Library I should look again, but I think it was less than 100 lines of code. Oh, wow. It, it may have been just like 50 lines of code. It was very, very simple. And uh, and that's what I went to to teach when I showed up at the, uh, at the workshop two weeks later. And I said, here's this library that I just wrote. I hope that it works uh, and that, like, <laughs> and that it, it gains <laughs> enough popularity that you don't get mad at me for teaching you something that's worthless. Um, and it did. And so eventually I extracted... I realized, uh, well, so first somebody recommended that I add a bunch of more accessibility focused queries. And at first mm -hmm. I just started with get by test ID because I was better than querying by CSS classes and stuff. And I've got an article about pretty much everything we've talked about. Uh, avoid the test user. And this one that I'm talking about specifically is um, UI resilience or testing and UI resilience or something like that. Awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, it's, definitely better to use a test ID than to use a class name or an ID to select elements. But somebody said, hey, how about like you give me an option to select by label text? And and then if, eventually somebody brought in uh, get by role. And that's the one that I recommend almost all the time. You should be using the mm -hmm. by role query because it's it helps you so much with from an accessibility standpoint. And, uh, and it's just easier to use. So I saw that like, and then we also had the ability to fire events. So you could uh, click and you can mouse over and you can key up and all of the, these events that we needed to do. And these just like create a new DOM event uh, using the platform APIs and uh, dispatch, uh, dispatch event uh, using DOM APIs. Um, and that was actually another thing that was very different from testing library uh, and Enzyme. Enzyme gave you back this uh, object full of a bunch of utilities you had to learn. Uh, I gave you back DOM nodes. And so you're mm -hmm. learning the web platform when you're using this. I, that was very important to me, and I'm really glad that I did that. We do have utilities for using these things, but but it all comes back down like you are interacting with DOM nodes. So I, I realized that like I had a tiny bit of code that was related to React and a bunch of code that had, didn't care because, again, we are avoiding implementation details. And uh, when you avoid implementation details, it turns out React is an implementation detail. And <laughs> so I just said, hey, let's, you know, I, I mean, the DOM technically is an implementation detail. Um, there, you, It is a spectrum. It's not uh, just one or the other. Um, and so, yes, we are. There are implementation details here. But I think the DOM is a pretty good, like, base layer uh, that mm. we can work with. And so I created DOM testing library just by extracting all this stuff out of React testing library. And then it really took off. Um, and 
most uh, communities are using this. And in fact, uh, Playwright just barely released um, some uh, testing utilities that are inspired by testing library uh, after mm-hmm. I begged them to <laughs> in, in their discourse. <laughs> like, please, we really like this would be so nice. And so they, they did. And it is great. So so, yeah, testing library has really uh, taken the, the UI testing world by storm. And I'm really happy with that. So we actually, we have a code base of the company I work for. We have a code base that, um, you know, historically we've used Enzyme, we use shallow rendering. Um, we're starting to sort of, you know, migrate away from that. Is there any anything that you've found from maybe from a strategy perspective to sort of help knowledge share about how to use React testing library, DOM testing library, and sort of getting the devs on board and 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 help them switch? Yeah, so there there is a a document in the testing library uh, documentation that talks specifically to this question. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also I have a blog post titled "Common Mistakes with Testing Library" that would be useful to to read. It's really unfortunate to need a blog post like that. Like you're you're supposed to have just such a wide pit of success that you'd never need to worry about that, but. You know, people use things in unexpected ways and 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 do things unnecessarily. Um, and so, yeah, um, I would recommend giving that a, a look over. Uh, the thing that I I often end up battling with is people who disagree with testing library. The <laughs> the guiding principle for testing library is something I tweeted years ago, and it is the more your tests resemble the way your software is used, the more confidence they can give you. And that actually was a a retweeted tweet i originally had written the less your uh tests resemble the way your software is used the less confidence they can give you but that just felt really negative (laughs) so um, (laughs) yeah but uh but yeah so like your test should look like or, or at least should read the way that your software is being used and a lot of people disagree with that for some strange reason so like have you had any pushback um from people just saying i don't like testing library i prefer enzyme I think it's more of just like a like a knowledge share mm. aspect of like being able to understand the entirety of the problem and being able to say, okay, everyone, this is what's happening. Do you understand? Okay, yes. Now let's move move forward, mm-hmm. right? And then it's also being able to create that space uh, within our roadmap, right? To be mm-hmm. able to, to actually make that and be able to sell that. So yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So first of all, on the the knowledge sharing and, and understanding, common understanding, um, I think the most important thing for people to get is uh, to think about, uh, first of all, that tests are just software, just like every other software that you're writing. It's, it's all just software and you're just automating uh, a task that you don't want to have to do manually. The, the next thing is that you want to keep in your mind that you're just trying to do what the user would do with that software. And so when you're like, how do I test this? Uh, The first question should be, well, how does the user make that happen? And now Mm -hmm. do that with software. That helps a lot. Uh, And I talk a little bit about that in my blog post titled, How to Know What to Test. So those two things are important. And then as far as uh, convincing the business people to give you uh, some time to, to work on this problem, I have another blog post titled Business and Engineering Alignment, where I talk about how you can get whatever you want as an engineer. Um, and <laughs> the, the the trick is that uh, you actually may have to change what you want. <laughs> um, mm. And so and it also the, that article comes with the assumption that everybody at the company 
is on board to push the mission of the company forward. Hmm. That is not true most of the time. So it's a little optimistic that people are are actually committed to the mission of the company. But if we can make that assumption, then um, you'll be able to get anything that you want as an engineer. And so anyway, the idea is to to just demonstrate that working on tests is going to push the mission of the company forward better than other things you could be doing with that time. Yeah. And so if you can do those things, then uh, hopefully you can get the time that you're that you want. Excellent. That's great advice. Yeah. Thank you. And I'm, we'll put all these uh, all of your articles in the show notes as well for uh, for people to take a look at. Cool. So you've kind of already we've kind of already talked about definition of integration tests. I do have some questions kind of around your philosophy because you actually advocate for spending most of your time writing integration tests uh, as opposed to unit tests. You know, and I feel like that statement alone without exploration is just kind of like from a developer perspective, initially you're like, whoa, wait a minute. That's, that sounds, that sounds odd, right? Because mm-hmm. we, you know, we're taught like unit, 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 unit. And then, you know, it's again, it's that sort of t- testing pyramid mentality as opposed mm-hmm. to the testing trophy. So tell me why, why more integration tests, less unit tests, expanding on kind of what we've already talked about. Sure. Yeah. So it all comes back down to that bang for your buck uh, sort of thing. So it is a, there's a, a ratio there and it, uh, a lot of people misunderstand uh, me when I s- talk about this. They think, oh, so you don't write in- unit tests. No, I, t- I totally write unit tests. But uh, but the thing is that if you um, focus mostly on unit tests, then you're going to be spending a lot of time changing your tests as you're refactoring things. You're, you're moving things around to different modules mm-hmm. and, and things. And so you just spend a lot of time babysitting your unit tests. The, the lower down the testing pyramid or the uh, testing trophy you go, the closer to implementation details you get. Mm. And so like with end to end, maybe we're mocking out the credit card provider. That's an implementation detail. Anytime you mock, you're talking about implementation details. So yeah, like you're going to deal with implementation details even at that level. You go down to integration tests and now you're mocking all the HTTP calls that your application is making to external services and stuff. Also implementation detail. So you're you're increasing the number of implementation details you're dealing with, um, which increases the number of false positives and false negatives that you end up with in your tests uh, as you work with those implementation details. Then you go down to unit tests and now you're pretty much only operating on the level of the developer who's calling these uh, these mm. functions, which is fine. But if you're, depending on how you define unit test and, and how you write those unit tests, you're either going to be mocking a lot of modules, which a bunch of implementation details again, or you're going to be just working with like pure functions that just like work within themselves. And you're not going to be able to verify that these functions, like, your test is calling those functions one way, your application code might be calling them a different way. And you've got to test the integration between your application code and this utility function. And that's an integration test. And so it, while I think that unit tests are really useful for utility functions, things with a lot of edge cases, uh, like even um, a higher level uh, component that's like used as a layout component for a bunch of other components it renders a bunch of other things. I, I could see value in unit testing that from a pure perspective of mocking everything out. If it's got some logic in there, that's just really complex. Mm. Uh, typically you want to extract that logic as much as you can, but if for some reason you can't, um, then yeah, I, I would unit test something like that. Those complex things that I wouldn't want to have to recreate uh, a bunch of times in a bunch of integration tests. 
So like, I, I'm not such a purist that I say it has to be this way, always this way. Here's all the rules. Uh, I'm more talking about guidelines. This is the Pirates of the Caribbean guidelines uh, instead of rules <laughs> <laughs> sort of thing. But uh, yeah, so I, I focus on integration tests because um, they're the right balance of stuff that I control, the right balance of, of things that are, are mocked. Uh, they're also quite a bit easier to write uh, relative to end-to-end tests, but they're not, uh, unit tests are certainly easier than integration, but I don't think they're that integration are that much more difficult to justify giving up all the confidence that you get by uh, just focusing on unit tests. Sure. And you mentioned previously like a component test. Mm-hmm. So h- how do you define that and how does that differ from maybe a unit test and or an integration test? Yeah. So I see kind of the component test is like, in the boundary between unit and integration test it's not not something i've ever like officially defined or written about or anything like that it's just kind of a thing that's in my mind because some people are not happy calling a test of a react component a unit test because it's using react and so like there's like i don't know like well at what yeah. level do you want me to mock stuff like am i <laughs> mocking the you know, my CPU, like, I, I don't know. Some yeah. people are just not happy with, with that. Um, well, uh, integration tests more to me is like, hey, we, we're, uh, we're rendering this whole page. So it just didn't quite fit the definition. And so this is mostly for uh, reusable components and, that, and maybe even hooks uh, could fall into the same kind of category, hmm. so like React hooks that are using other hooks and things like that could be kind of similar here where we're not mocking a bunch of stuff. Uh, we're still like rendering it out as it is and we're, we're testing that, but we are testing it in isolation from the rest of the app. So yeah, there's, there's a little bit. And, and in the context of React, you have context providers like uh, your router and maybe your uh, authentication provider or whatever, you know, React query or something like that. And for that, these component tests are going to be rendered within with those in context, mm. you know, so you're not going to mock those out typically. And that's kind of where the component test fits. So one thing that I think oftentimes we talk about and, and sort of have a hard time drawing a line is, is around the tool that we use. So for example, we use Cypress and we say, okay, this is for integration tests, right? And then we use, you know, Jest and Enzyme and, and slowly React testing library for unit tests. But the lines can kind of be blurred there, right? Because with React Testing Library, you can create this idea of a component test or an integration test where you're actually writing these things to integrate. Mm-hmm. How do you, do you have any advice there to sort of like help us define like where we write these tests? Sure. Putting them in these buckets. Yeah. So I typically only use Cypress for end-to-end tests and I'm actually becoming increasingly mm. interested in Playwright as a replacement for Cypress there, there are pros and cons there, and that's probably a whole show on its own. <laughs> I have this podcast called the Call Kent Podcast, where people can, in their browser, just record a two-minute question uh, from the microphone on the phone, uh, and then I record a response, and then the pod, like our conversation is published as a podcast. And I've got one one person asked me this question about Cypress versus Playwright, and so if anybody's interested in my take there, uh, you can go listen to that. It's on my website, kentcdodds.com slash calls. So... Uh, I typically uh, use either one of those tools just for end-to-end tests. Sometimes I will mock out network calls to say what happens if there's an error, but most of the time I don't. My integration uh, tests are mostly in written with Jest, or I'm increasingly interested in vTest uh, for that as mm-hmm. well. It, it does seem to be a bit faster. 
but Jest is still awesome and uh, and JS DOM. And with those, I will render the entire app component. So in a React context, or even like most modern uh, UI libraries now, you have this idea of components. And so uh, if you render the, you, you take whatever entry you have that's like, here's the first thing that happens when my app boots up. I hydrate the app or I render, you know, my client rendered app. I've got a component there that you're rendering. I render that component in these tests. And so it's it's using the full everything. And there may be like things you need to mock in, in the DOM before you get set up, like the URL, for example, you got to set the URL to the page you want to be on before you do that, uh, different things like that. Maybe you have to set up your React query cache provider to have some data in it already or, or whatever. Or, or uh, you you have like this utility function to get the app in a logged in state uh, so that as if the user is showing up logged in. Um, whatever yeah. you need to do. Um, and Epic React, uh, I demonstrate how to do that. If you go to epicreact.dev, um, I've got a, uh, a workshop at the very end that's called Build an Epic React App. And uh, yeah, we, we do this. So yeah, and you get, so I, I say that most of your testing should be integration. I don't mean most of like just by sure number of tests. Um, I just mean most of the confidence that you get comes from the integration mm. test that you write. So for both end-to-end, so actually let me talk briefly about this. So end-to-end tests, I typically, I'm, I'm testing a user flow. I'm not just like show up on the yeah. page and make sure this yeah. error shows up or whatever. I'm like, the user adds this product to their cart and then they you know add this product and then they remove that product and then they're doing a bunch of things that a user would do. And, and typically it's uh, happy path stuff. Sometimes I'll do some sad path stuff, but mostly it's happy path. And then integration test, uh, we'll do some uh, more sad path stuff, um, but still, like I'd say, like seventy or sixty percent happy path stuff with the integration test, and yeah, and but it's still like longer tests. It's it maybe not a user flow from page to page to page, um, but like a single page, do what the user would do on that page, mm. s- sort of thing. Sometimes we'll we'll navigate between pages, but like most of the time, I'm I'm just worried about a specific page. Uh, and then your component tests are going to be reusable components and hooks, uh, and then your unit tests are going to be your pure, pure functions. Okay, so so end kind of more of a if you can think about it uh, visually, sort of like a horizontal flow. Yes. Whereas maybe integration is sort of vertical. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe uh, the end-to-end test may require, it is going to be horizontal, but it's going to be a thick line. (laughs) So yeah, yeah, because it it may require that you fill out the whole form and stuff. Um, But Mm -hmm. I'm I'm typically, most of the time, I'm going to fill out that form um, properly. Uh, I'm not going to try and do anything to test error cases and stuff like that. Sometimes you, you might need to do that, but typically I'm going to put that in an integration test if I can. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Okay. So we've written all these, all these tests at various levels and we have, we want to run them in our deploy pipeline. So let's say we have stages of your PR, then maybe a staging environment and then production. Just for simplicity's sake, we'll just have three three stages. Where should we run each of these different tests, and why? Yeah, so um, this is gonna like there are a lot of different opinions on this. Um, <laughs> so where where I've done it, um, in, like when I was at PayPal, um, I'd have the PR would kick off uh, tests. I think we tested, we ran all of the uh, the tests that we were responsible for uh, on every PR. And so then we could, uh, and we all ran in Jenkins and stuff like good old, um, you know, the worst thing (laughs) in the world. Um, And uh, 
uh, just tons of scripts and nonsense. Um, so, uh, yeah. And then when you merged, uh, we would deploy to staging, we would run tests on that. And then when, when that was good, we could deploy to production with that. Um, sometimes, uh, and I actually set up when I was at PayPal, I set up, uh, running at least the unit tests locally as a pre-commit hook. Mm. So, or, or I think it was a pre-push. So before you pushed, it would run all of the tests. And the benefit of that um, is with Jest, you can say specify, like, I only run, want to run the tests that are impacted by these specific files. And so even if you have thousands of tests and you're like, man, I don't want my pushes to take like two minutes or, or even longer, uh, half hour. So with Jest, you just say, just run the tests that are relevant for the changes that I'm pushing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so then that, that's like a 10 second thing maybe. And so it's it's not so problematic. But the reason that's so useful is if a test does fail, then uh, we've saved you from a context switch because normally you're going to move on. Then the PR is going to have a build failure and you'd be like, oh, shoot, what was that? Uh, now I got to switch back. And so we want to avoid context switches. And so that that was helpful. We would also run uh, linting and type checking and all of that, too. Mm. So, uh, yeah, uh, but we'd, we'd also run all of that stuff as part of the build pipeline as well. Uh, just in case somebody skipped the the commit hook, which is perfectly reasonable. Like there are reasons to do that for sure. But uh, but yeah, we we you don't probably don't want to merge um, without the like at least for most people. I think we're on board with this idea that main um, the main branch should be uh, deployable at any time. I uh, don't want to merge anything into main that's that's not deployable. That that means that maybe you put things behind a feature flag if it's not finished yet, and that's that also is a good idea. And then some people. And I'm very interested in this idea. We'll actually deploy to production and test in production and just enable the feature flag for for their test. And, and then, uh, so like, or their test user or whatever. I think this is a great idea. Um, I never did it myself, but I, I, I feel confident enough in both the idea itself, as well as the people who have told me that they've done this, uh, that I can recommend it. <laughs> Excellent. So another question around uh, test performance what are ways that you kind of optimize and sort of boost test performance in general? Yeah, sure. So um, a lot of the time, so the first thing that you want to ask yourself when your tests are running slow is not, why are my tests running slow? It is maybe my app is slow. (laughs) So that you might actually have a performance problem in your app. Um, I see this a lot with people who are testing data grids uh, and things they're, they're rendering that and it's just super slow. Well, probably profile your app first. Make sure that that is not slow. Um, your test might be trying to tell you something. The next thing, especially for stuff like data grids, JS DOM is way slower than a real browser's implementation of the DOM. And most of us, if we're using Jest, we're using JS DOM, and it is it is not fast. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that it's like dog slow, but like it is it is a lot slower. And so, if you've got something really heavy like a data grid. Uh, or or maybe uh, some heavy SVG chart thing, then you might consider switching t- the test for that over to something faster that runs in a real browser like Cypress or Playwright. And then in your integration tests that happen to, to render that component, just mock that component. That, that can help uh, speed things up quite a bit as well. Yeah, because just like we're, we're reaching the limits of JSDOM, it's, a, it's just a little slower. And then... Another thing to uh, that you can do is uh, with Node, you can actually have it give you a, a flame graph or or what what is that thing called? Like uh, get the 
a trace or whatever right. uh, so that you can yeah. pull that up in the developer tools and see okay where is my memory allocation going you know what what giant call stacks do i have to look at and stuff so that can also help you figure out what's going on another thing that happens a lot is people are like it runs pretty fast on my machine but i deploy it on the ci pipeline it's like crazy <laughs> slow well uh there are a couple of reasons that could be one is uh just runs your test files in parallel and so it spawns a bunch of processes to do that and maybe uh your ci machine uh doesn't have the processes to spare and so there's a flag on Jess called run in band that you can use that will just not spawn processes and just run it all in a single process uh, that can speed things up. Um, another thing is maybe your CI machine is just a, like a wimp of a machine. Um, that's the way I had it at, uh, at PayPal. <laughs> and so like, that's just the way it's going to be. I'm sorry. Um, so uh, yeah. there, there could be that to see about beefing up your machine. Uh, but I've definitely seen people who are like, I've got a, a super beefy machine and it's still slow. And there, there are other things. Uh, another thing that people run into is with testing library, the by role query gives you a ton of confidence. And to do that, it has to do a lot of things. And one of the things it does is it actually checks the visibility of the element that you're looking for. And calculating the visibility uh, is slow, especially in JSDOM. Um, not so slow in, in a real browser, but in JSDOM, that's definitely very slow. And so that that can be a problem sometimes. I've had a lot of people say, can we just like speed this up? And I'm like, we have done everything we can think of. Um, and there is a way to disable that feature so it doesn't check for the visibility. There's a configuration option. And so you can disable that and then uh, just you know maybe once a week, enable that and just run it and make sure that you you know, aren't trying to click on something that's invisible or something that that could speed things up too. And uh, hopefully those are some helpful tips. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. So last question on testing before we, before we wrap up and just go to our very last section here, what are some other ways that, that folks can learn about testing best practices? Yeah. So uh, testingjavascript.com is the premier way to do that. Uh, it's got so much, so much stuff about testing. I, I've delivered, uh, I, I've got workshops and and uh, courses on other uh, places and people ask, well, it's the difference between this and testing JavaScript. Testing JavaScript is the best by a long shot. Um, and actually, I, I am not afraid to say it's the best uh, resource on testing on the internet for JavaScript developers. And, uh, and so, yeah, I strongly advise giving that a look. I also have just a silly amount of blog posts uh, about testing on my blog that's that are all free. Uh, so give uh, my blog a look as well. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right. So I want to move on to our last section. It's called building bits and bytes. I ask all my guests, it's lightning round and it's four questions. Are you ready? Uh, I, I'm very bad at lightning round things, <laughs> <laughs> so I will try to be brief. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you build software? To make the world a better place. Look at that, short and sweet. <laughs> Who is your cheerleader or your support system? My wife, for sure, 100%. Best advice you have ever received? Be kind. Any tech or any tools you are using to help solve everyday problems? Remix. <laughs> okay, perfect. Wonderful. So where can people find you on the web? I know we've linked a lot of articles, but sort of what's the best place to follow you? Keep up with your your epic web, uh, web dev course that you're working on and sort of stay up to date with what you're doing. 
Yeah, so what I'm doing right now is I'm, I'm building epicweb.dev. Uh, so anybody who's taken Epic React is like, wow, this is a really big course. So there's like takes 14 weeks to complete. Epic Web is going to be at least two, maybe three times bigger. Uh, so it is everything I know about the web. That's what I'm working on right now. And I'm building it all in the open. So you can follow me on YouTube where I'm streaming that. And that's just, you can go to kcd.im slash YouTube. And that's a short link to get to my YouTube channel. And uh, I do chat on Discord. Uh, so I, I ignore the live chat on YouTube because there's too much spam and, and nonsense there. So kcd.im slash Discord will get you to my Discord. And then my website is kenzie.com. And then my Twitter, I, I'm pretty active there. It's uh, Kent C. Dots. Wonderful. Well, Kent, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Uh, you know, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your journey with us, talking about testing and really sort of digging into, you know, what tests we should be writing, the goal of testing and sort of keeping that at the forefront, right? Because that's sort of the most important piece where all of these types of tests is just sort of a way for us to think about achieving that goal, right? Of making sure that our app works with how our user expects it. So again, it's been an absolute honor. Uh, you are one of my heroes. You know, I wish you the best of luck with your Epic Web Dev course and, and your journey. Well, thank you so much, Nigel. I really appreciate you inviting me on and it was a fun conversation with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Building With People For People, the Unfiltered Build podcast. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please leave a review. If you're building something that is interesting and aims to solve a human problem and would like to be a guest on this show, please send me an email at jointhepodcast at unfilteredbuild.com. Until next time, go build with people.